What's happening? It's a beautiful Saturday morning. The sun is out. And, you know, it's a little bit chilly out, but I don't mind too much as long as the sun's out and it's not completely freezing. Um, but hopefully it'll keep getting warmer because I definitely prefer the warm over the cold, uh, no doubt about it. I'm just sitting here with my dog, Stormy. She's sleeping. Uh, Stormy is a boxer. Uh, she's a, a brindle. And, uh, yeah, she's a great dog. And I'm also washing some clothes, so hopefully the microphone isn't picking up the uh, washing machine thumping around. Um, but I, I don't think it will, or if it does, I don't, I don't think it'll be very noticeable. So, But even if it is, who gives a shit? I don't give a shit. So, But yeah, today... If you don't already know, I'm going to be ranking the discography of the legendary, uh, very strange band, Primus. Um, the genres that uh, Wikipedia, you know, the most reliable source, uses to describe Primus are alternative metal, funk metal, experimental rock, and progressive rock. And the one core member is Les Claypool. Uh, who, um, if you know him, you know that he's a legendary bassist. He's the main guy of Primus. He's the vocalist, uh, writes the songs most of the time, I think. And uh, yeah, and then there's two other kind of core members, Larry Lalonde and Tim Alexander. And on top of that, there have been a few rotating members, uh, Todd Huth, Vince Parker, Peter Libby, Robbie Bean, Tim Wright, Jay Lane, and Brian Montilla. Um, all kind of contributing to the great thing that is Primus. Um, they have nine studio albums. I'm not going to rank any of the kind of early stuff that's not super official or um, any kind of bootlegs or live albums or anything like that so just just the studio albums so you know frizzle fry uh sailing the seas of cheese pork soda tales from the punch bowl brown album anti-pop green naga hide primus and the chocolate factory and the desaturating seven uh, so we're gonna go ahead and get into that i'm pretty excited uh i've only known Primus pretty well for a short time. Uh, I think like six years ago, I had a friend that was really into the Chocolate Factory album, strangely enough, and uh, he would always talk about how cool Les Claypool was, and he would be playing their cover of Pure Imagination all the time, and as cool as I thought that was, I don't know if it was the best representation of what the band actually is because that album is sort of a novelty thing which we'll get into and uh, yeah I didn't think too much of them until I think 2020 very early 2020 like before the pandemic uh, my friend Parker showed me the album Pork Soda specifically the the song My Name is Mud which I'll I'll get into later trust me and uh, that was the first time I was like, okay, I really, really like Primus. And then uh, when I got this show started and I was trying to think of bands that maybe I didn't know all of their albums very well and I wanted to explore them more for an episode, I thought, hey, I need to do Primus. And then after that, I kind of got into the rest of their stuff and I spent most of the past month mostly just listening to them and... Uh, getting to know each album pretty well um so you know if my ranking pisses you off just know that i'm basing this off of like just this past month worth of like intensive listening and uh i've i've listened to each album at least five times um between work and my free time at home so i feel like this is as like <laughs> not objective but as good of a list as I can make for the experience I've had with the albums. And I, I think I've given myself a lot of time with them. It's not like I just heard each one once. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into the ranking now. Uh, number nine of the nine studio albums is The Desaturating Seven from 2017. The most recent Primus record, Do I Love It? 
nah, do I dislike it? Not at all. Um, it's pretty cool, and honestly, it, it's only up from here, really, as far as the ranking goes. Um, you know, because that's how ranking works. Um, but yeah, this album is quite the journey into progressive rock, uh, drawing a lot of comparisons to King Crimson. Uh, Les Claypool was inspired by a children's book named The Rainbow Goblins uh, that he used to read his own kids when they were young. It's about, to quote, greedy color-eating goblins who terrorize their fictional world by sucking the color out of rainbows. So, you know, of course, Primus being who they are, they would make an album basically soundtracking that. Um, I feel like this and the Chocolate Factory album mark a whole new chapter in the band's career. It's kind of interesting that he decided not to, to do not one, but two albums based around a children's story. And you know, the only difference being Chocolate Factory was actually covering a real soundtrack, and I think this is just kind of interpreting what a soundtrack to this book would actually be. And you know, the results are pretty interesting. I may be left a little bit in the dark because I have never read the book uh, until listening to this record, but it also doesn't feel like I need that much context, um, especially if it's a children's book, and, you know, I, I feel like I get the general idea, even if I don't know all of the specific nuances, and I've, obviously I get a little bit out of the lyrics of each song. Uh, speaking of the songs, the opener, The Valley, has... This sort of ominous and bare desert of an instrumental with narration setting the scene of this fictional world from Justin Chancellor, credited only as the Goblin Master on the liner notes. Um, and if I have to strongly recommend any track on here, it's by far the second one, The Seven, which also sets the scene, but this time from Les with his wild and goofy delivery. And he does it with this classic Primus-style funky bass groove I love the breakdown at the end, and I wish it lasted forever. Uh, the trek at eight minutes long has this pretty long, meandering, creepy, and slow buildup, and finally in the second half picks up. This is definitely the most, I would say, King Crimson track on the whole record. Um, definitely the one that warrants that uh, comparison the most. Then we have The Scheme, uh, which like The Seven is short and sweet kicks ass um it just has this awesome rotating hammering bass line and these squeaky guitars it's a pretty cool track and uh like the track before while they're impressive musically and i can't say anything negatively about them the last three tracks the dream the storm and the ends kind of feel like i need to be hearing them as a companion piece with a movie or something i know they released music videos for each song on the record I'm not sure like if there's a whole lot going on in the music videos but I feel like maybe that would help me appreciate them a little bit more I feel like they need like a visual companion um, but even then I don't know how much I would go back to these songs uh, but you know I mean they're all pleasant and I mean this band is obviously extremely talented musically I mean it's Primus you don't you don't really like you, you, you already know that you know um but yeah, that's, I mean, that's all I can really say about this record um, as far as the songs go. Um, while I definitely wouldn't recommend it as the first album you hear, it's still a cool exercise that any, like, pretty well-adjusted Primus fan should check out at least once. And just because I have it as my personal least favorite, that doesn't mean there's anything bad I could say about it. I think it's cool that he would honor the book and his children the way he has, and if I had to go with a rating, I would go with a strong 3 out of 5 for this one. Could maybe be a 3.5 if I can warm up to it a little bit. But, you know, 3 out of 5 is still a positive score. Uh, it just means I'm not, like, completely enamored with it. So, yeah. That's number 9, the Desaturating 7. Number 8, we have Primus and the Chocolate Factory from 2014. The reason I thought this came out in 2015, but it says 2014, so I'm going to go by that. Um, you probably caught it because I was just talking about the Desaturating 7, and here it is. 
the band's interpretation of the original Willy Wonka soundtrack. This was actually, like I said, my first introduction to Primus years ago. Um, like I said, had a friend who was just obsessed with the song Pure Imagination and was trying to learn the way they played it on bass himself. And uh, I remember thinking it was pretty cool, but just kind of, you know, moved on, didn't think too much about it. And here we are all these years later, I'm making a whole episode about this band. Um, apparently Les has been obsessed with this movie throughout his life. And, you know, that makes a lot of sense. You could easily see how the oddball comedy would plant a seed in his mind and kind of evolve into the goofy persona that we all know and love all these years later. Um, side note, apparently, uh, there was almost an interpretation of the Beatles album Magical Mystery Tour instead of this. Uh, but he decided not to go through with it since Flaming Lips were already in the process of covering Sgt. Pepper in its entirety. And, I mean, I'm not knocking this. This this is a really good album. But I almost wish there was a, a Magical Mystery Tour cover album because I, I think that is a... I mean, there's no real underappreciated Beatles record. But I feel like if there is one, it's kind of that one. Uh, because people give a lot of shine to Sgt. Pepper's. And honestly, I've always preferred Magical Mystery Tour, and it's kind of got that sense of humor that's sort of wacky that I feel like Primus would pull off really well. But, you know, never say never. Maybe someday we'll finally get that. And, uh, you know, I'm still glad with what we got here with the Chocolate Factory, and we don't really know what the Magical Mystery Tour record would have sounded like. I might have still preferred this. I mean, one of those things you could just never really know. Um... You know, while I'm not head over heels for this album, I do find a lot more personal highlights on it than the last album, uh, or the last album in my ranking, um, The Desaturating Seven. Um, the first one that I like is uh, Candyman, which honestly sounds almost as heavy as anything they would have originally produced in the 90s. Uh, I love those parts with the drums that sound like they're about to explode, and Les is just on the verge of screaming and cracking his voice. Um, Cheer Up Charlie um, kind of sounds like they took the original tune and locked it in a room for three days straight and then let it back out. Um, and it, it, it's just like this feral thing, like wandering around and scaring the shit out of people. Um, it's pretty creepy, but it's fun. Uh, the bass line on Golden Ticket is just irresistibly funky and fun. And that hook, I got a golden ticket, uh, is executed really well in that really goofy, deep-ass voice. Um, I like how they take the light, cartoonish aspect of these originals and keep them cartoonish, but also make them sound really sinister. Um, it, it just adds a whole new atmosphere to the soundtrack. And, I mean, I think that was the point, so they definitely pulled it off. Um, and same goes for the next one course i've said it three times now i have to shout out pure imagination the most memorable song from the movie and the most memorable song on the record it's a small touch but it's cool how the vocals and the bass match up for the lyrics and i like how atonal and creepy that repeated guitar line is uh, all four of the oompa loompa tracks are just as fun as you'd expect from primus it's Almost like the Oompa Loompa tune was made just for Primus to do. Um, I'm sure if they were around at the time of this original movie, they they would have provided that song for the movie, you know? Um, but I, I don't think people would have responded as well to Primus back in that time. Um, so I'm glad they came along when they did. Um, but it would have been badass to just have such a crazy band all the way back then, you know? Uh, and the last song that I want to shout out is Semi-Wondrous Boat Ride, which is already a kind of disturbing part of the movie. Uh, but it's just, of course, turned up to 200 here. I like how he's rushing through and screaming the lyrics, and there are all these claustrophobic sounds. It, I don't know, like Gene Wilder does a pretty good job of creeping you out on the original, but yeah, they, they just run with it on this track. Um, it's probably the creepiest track on the whole thing, aside from Cheer Up Charlie still, you know, like I said, pretty uh, freaky little tune. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's Primus and the Chocolate Factory. That's all I'm really going to talk about. Uh, overall, this one is somewhere between a 3 and a 3.5 for me. On a good day, I'd say 3.5, and I'm having a good day, so that's what we're going to do. I don't really know how much I would go back to it, uh, but it is quite the experience while it's on, and it's a one-of-a-kind thing that uh, I feel like you don't really get again in their discography. The closest thing, of course, is Desaturating 7, but I feel like even that's like a whole different beast, so... Yeah, I mean, there aren't a lot of, uh, I mean, there aren't a lot of, like, alternative or, like, funk metal bands covering children's soundtracks, so, you know, this is what you get when that happens. So, yeah, number eight, Primus and the Chocolate Factory uh, from 2014, and I'm giving it a 3.5 out of 5. All right, and this one's going to piss some people off. Uh, <laughs> number seven. I have Tales from the Punch Bowl uh, from 1995, taking it back some. Um, you know, please don't kill me for having this one so low. Um, we're getting into the territory where I think all of these albums are pretty solid, uh, and I actually would go back and revisit them. Uh, not to knock the two soundtrack albums. Uh, they are good. I'm not saying anything negative about them, really. But... This is more of the territory of ones that I, I think I would go back to definitely more often. And I, I do like this record uh, quite a bit. Um, this one came off, uh, came hot off the heels of their the success of their last record, uh, Pork Soda, uh, which we'll get to later. And it produced two of their most well-known songs, which we'll get to shortly. Um... You know, speaking of the prog thing from Desaturating 7, this one I kind of notice also has prog elements, but it seems like they sort of dropped that for a little while, and of course they came back to it. Um, but this is like their original, like, sort of proggy album to me. Um, and, you know, in, in this instance, it's pretty early into their career, so I feel like there's a certain sense of rawness that's, apparent uh that's not as apparent like in the later stuff where they've matured and nothing wrong with that just just an observation um it's also like the most cartoonish and animated the band gets um in my opinion outside of you know like i've been saying their soundtrack albums uh getting into some songs professor nutbutter's house of treats what a name uh is a wild and zany opener. It goes on for a good seven minutes with the kind of complicated bass parts that you would expect, some shredding guitar and less screaming like he's a circus master. Um, really cool track, um, cool opening track. Uh, Mrs. Blaylene uh, was a single, uh, which I didn't know, but um, did the least in numbers compared to the other two singles, which I'm about to get to. Uh, it's got this demented fuzz guitar part about two minutes that just kicks ass. And, uh, of course, if anyone knows a single song off this album, it's got to be Winona's Big Brown Beaver. This tune is just peak primus. Um, absolutely absurd lyrics that sound like they were kind of like taken from a nursery rhyme, but like straight out of hell. Uh, mixed with this almost twang kind of country and then also metal blend of an instrumental uh i i think it deserves to be one of their most well-known tracks it's one of their best tracks um and uh i absolutely love the version on youtube of uh les claypool's duo de twang doing it with just the bass and the slide guitar and i love that part that's like um it's just iconic and it's an awesome tune and uh there's a performance i think of uh i think it's like on letterman or something and that one just kicks ass and it's like i said one of their best songs deserves all of the flowers that it gets uh then we have southbound packadrom which i i haven't been really been able to figure out how to pronounce that um but it's a well-known favorite among their discography, and it's probably the closest they get to their own sort of 21st uh, century schizoid man. It's got these menacing guitar lines that just cut like a knife, and uh, 
I like how as far as the vocals go, um, especially, it's a bit more reserved and mellow than their other hits. I, I like how Les is singing in sort of a hushed way and uh, the bass line just matching every single word. Uh, pretty fantastic track. I, I think Les really likes the song and I can see why. And I think it's become a live favorite over the years. I'm sorry for butchering the name. I'm just really bad at pronouncing shit. Um, kind of an idiot sometimes, but that's okay. Uh, as for the rest of the album, there are some really cool moments, but nothing I feel that stands quite as tall as the rest of their discography. Uh, Year of the Parrot and Del Davis Tree Farm are, you know, pretty predictable for Primus at this point, but they're still solid bangers. Dianza uh, Jig sounds like a fun hillbilly-style banjo left over from the pork soda era. It's just a lot of fun, and... Yeah, I mean, everything else is good, but overall, this is an album that, like, I want to get into more, and I do, like, like it a good bit, but I'm probably not going to put this one on as much as the other ones. Um, I probably would just go to, like, certain songs on here, uh, if anything. Um, it's such a varied album, though, and it, it almost feels like a compilation of random tunes that they had just been working on up to that point, uh, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, just kind of a weird mixed, like, candy bag of songs. Um, that's the way I like to think about it. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's an important step for the band, and I, I, I don't want to say anything negative about it. Um, so I'm going to stick with a 3.5 out of 5 on it. Maybe as time goes on, I'll appreciate the missing links a little bit more. Like I said at the start, please don't kill me for having this one kind of low. I, I still I still like it a good bit. Um, so, yeah. Number seven, Tales from the Punchbowl from 1995, giving it a 3.5 out of 5. Number six, we've got Antipop from 1999. By far their most polished sounding record, and uh, as strange as it is, I, I do feel like it's probably the easiest record for your average person to get into, uh, especially if they grew up in the late 90s and early 2000s and have a taste for any new metal adjacent stuff, because uh, that sound is all over this. Um, it's definitely not their strongest record, but still nothing bad at all, and there are a lot of golden nuggets on here, uh, especially the opening run of songs. If you had an EP of those tunes, I honestly think it would be like a five-star EP. But it's not what we got, and what we got is still a, a pretty good album. Uh, Electric Uncle Sam is killer. Every instrument is highlighted perfectly and gets its chance to shine. Natural Joe is a kick-ass song to listen to while you drive around with the windows down. I love that hook that's like, he's one respectable son of a bitch. Ah. Um, such a catchy, fun little tune. Uh, Fred Durst uh, from Limp Biscuit, of all people, played a hand in Lacquerhead, which is so interesting to me. And God, I'm, I'm kind of surprised this track wasn't a fairly huge, like, alt radio hit. That sort of funky and muted bass line is just candy to the ears. And the breakdown in the chorus just straight up rips. Uh, when I listen to this song, I, I just feel like an angsty teenager all over again. I, I kind of wish I found this album when I was like 13, because I would have been head over heels obsessed with it. Um, and that was my first foray into getting into stuff that was like, you know, kind of mainstream, but also like kind of just got like a weird edge to it. So I feel like that would have been perfect for that time. Um, uh, the song, The Anti-Pop, never fails to get stuck in my head for a full day every single time I hear it. I am anti-pop. I run against the grain to the day I drop. Um, I was singing that the other day while I was making coffee, and Hannah was like, what the fuck are you singing? Um, I love the instrumentals switching back and forth between menacing stoner metal-type guitar chords and then the wild funk metal-type breaks. Um... You know, and after that, I feel like the record cools off a little bit for me, but it still stays pretty good. Um, 
the Metallica influence is pretty apparent on Eclectic Electric with James Hetfield literally playing guitar on it. Um, of all the songs on here, I'm kind of shocked, and I, I could be wrong, but uh, kind of shocked that Fred Durst wasn't on Mama Didn't Raise No Fool. Um, I don't know, he, he had to play some kind of part in it, because it, it straight up sounds like a Limp Biscuit track, unless like because of Fred Durst's involvement with the other track, uh, Les Claypool was like, oh, I need I need to make this song that sounds like Limp Biscuit could have done it. Um, but yeah, the only difference is like the vocals. Um, but if you replace the vocals with Fred, you wouldn't think twice about it, really. Um, except for the bass being like, obviously insanely good because it's, you know, Les Claypool. Um, yeah, it, it just feels like some new metal shit that you had jammed in your brain for years. I, I have a lot of fun when I listen to this track. Uh, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine is featured on Power Mad, which you can definitely hear with those really punchy guitars, you know. Uh, it's a cool collab. Uh, but by far, my favorite collaboration on here besides Lacquerhead is Coattails of a Dead Man with... The legend himself, Tom Waits, uh, working with Primus yet again, which, we'll, you know, we'll save that for later, uh, their first collaboration. Um, this is a pair that I didn't even think of, but actually makes total sense when you think about the uh, pretty bizarre nature of the two artists, especially around this time uh, for Tom Waits. Um, it's got this old, drunken barroom feel that you kind of expect from having Tom on it, and I love how they threw in the lost track, The Heckler, a song only seen on their live album from 1989 at the end of this one. Um, it's a pretty cool one going into the other one. Um, I think this was like a bonus track that was kind of shoved at the end of Coattails of a Dead Man. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of torn between a 3.5 and a 4 out of 5 for this album. I think it kind of depends on my mood and you know, after listening to all of these records like five times each, it's hard to give the most honest thing since my ears have heard it over and over. Um, so I don't know. Even though I feel like now I know the albums really well, uh, like I said at the beginning, I also feel like some of these lower ones I may be getting like a little bit fatigued by. So I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. And uh I think I'm just going to go with a 3.5 out of 5 for now. Um, overall, though, I feel like I'm pretty confident as far as the, where it's ranked on here at number 6. Uh, so yeah, Antipop from 1999 at number 6. Here we go, and I think this one is a really underappreciated album, honestly. Like, we're going to get into the cream of the crop here. This is the really good shit. Uh, Number five, I've got Green Nagahide from 2011. The first record uh, from Primus of the 21st century and their first record in 12 years. Uh, you know, Antipop came out in 1999. After the long hiatus of the band, uh, Les and guitarist Larry, La Larry Lalonde, uh, I think he's usually referred to as just Lur, uh, they decided to rekindle the fire with uh, drummer Jay Lane, who appeared on some of their earliest recordings, and the resulting album was this. Uh, and I, I think it's a really solid album. Uh, I think it's super underrated, and it only grows on me more and more with each listen. Um, it kind of seems like with the albums leading up to this, the band was just building and building on things, and now they're sort of taking it back to basics, drawing a lot of comparisons to their first album. Uh, more on that later. Um, there's a certain raw energy to it that you can really only find on that early stuff, and now I feel like it's sort of updated for the 2010s as far as like production goes. This album sounds kind of grimy, but also really clean at the same time. Uh, Prelude to a Crawl, sort of droney instrumental with that western-sounding guitar, really sets the scene and just transitions so cleanly right into Hennepin Crawler, almost as if they were just one track. And God, Hennepin Crawler is amazing. Uh, 
that funky bass line and that sort of slippery sounding production just gets to me. Uh, of course, Les's storytelling is cool as fuck too. I honestly don't understand why this track isn't regarded as one of their best. Um, there's another one on here that I think is fucking fantastic too, uh, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, some other highlights include uh, Eternal Consumption Engine, an obvious but simple commentary on our current economy and consumerism, which only becomes more relevant as time pushes forward, um, as it just grows and grows. Instrumentally, it's got this kind of goofy, cartoonish factory feel. I love how he says, uh, I really, really like it. Think I'm going to buy it. Really, really like it. Think I'm going to buy it. Um, it's, it's a really fun track. Tragedies of Coming is, is fucking great. Uh, just absolutely rips into the room and kicks so much ass and then just leaves. Uh, some of the finest bass playing and a discography full of incredible bass playing. The vocals are, of course, over the top. And the chorus, honestly, for some reason reminds me of something like Funkadelic. And hey, have I mentioned how cool Les's narration over these instrumentals is? It's just badass, like... I wish he would do narration for a movie or something. I feel like it would be so fucking cool. Um, I believe the track Jilly's on Smack is a tribute to uh, his friend who died of an overdose uh, sometime before this was made. And it's uh, upbeat sounding, but also just as eerie and somber as you would expect given the, the nature of where the song came from. Um, it's got these droning guitars and pounding drums that kind of make it sound like there's a storm brewing, like something really bad is about to happen. Uh, Lee Van Cleef is an awesome track based off of Les's time watching spaghetti westerns and seeing the actor Lee Van Cleef. Uh, in the song, he's drawing comparisons to these movies from his own life and kind of reflecting on everything that he's been through. And According to the interview, uh, to an interview uh, by the main hook, uh, whatever happened to Lee Van Cleef, he's also asking whatever happened to my own youth, uh, which I, I thought that was a pretty cool, like, lyrical theme to, like, draw comparisons uh, from a movie into your own life, which everyone does, but it's rare that you hear someone put that into a song because it's a very specific feeling. Uh and the song I said we were going to get to earlier that I just fucking love is Hoeing for the Man, uh, which is just a hilarious song, uh, but also a kick-ass song. It's got this opening fuzz guitar that sounds straight out of a classic Black Sabbath recording. Think like Paranoid Era or something. Uh, the song itself is, like I said, among the band's wackiest, and that's saying something because they've got a lot of crazy ass songs uh the main hook being uh i used to be a pimp and now i'm holding for the man i'm holding for the man and uh some little one-liners like uh how about them foot-long sandwiches and uh my favorite is uh oh man that's a juicy burger that just always makes me laugh i, I fucking love Les's personality and what he puts into these songs it's just so cool um He's, he deserves to be one of the most well-regarded rock figures of our time. Um, I, I think his work is so important. It's so fun. Uh, just brings so much lightness and like just something that I, I feel like modern rock music needs. And like you can tell with this album that the band just hasn't aged at all. Um, the song Extinction Burst I want to uh, shout out to. It's really cool existential funk jam. Um, and a good way to finish off the album along with uh, Salmon Men, which is a very short outro that kind of sounds like men singing in a factory in the 40s or something. Um, yeah, this is a really strong 4 out of 5 record. I think, honestly, I would go for a 4.5, actually. Um, like I said, we're really getting into the good shit here. Uh, like, this album and up is just all solid like just dead ringer like amazing shit um that you should definitely check out if you want to get into primus um so that being said i think i'm going to go with a 4.5 out of 5 for this one so yeah green nagahide from 2011 at number five all right number four we've got 
Pork Soda from 1993. Uh, the first actual Primus record I got into, uh, like I was saying at the beginning, thanks to my friend Parker. And the only record I knew of theirs for a little while. Um, when I planned to do this discography ranking, I honestly thought I was going to have to place this one at number one because I was just thinking, like, nothing can beat this. And, you know, while I was pretty wrong, this is still a good-ass record. Um, it's basically the same funk metal that we all know and love Primus for, but this time we're doing hillbilly funk metal. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? Probably not. Um, so yeah, strap in. Uh, Pork Chop's Little Ditty is such a funny little intro, only at 20 seconds. It features Les picking away on a mandolin, and then it fades into the next song seamlessly, which this next song is the big one. Uh, the one that got me interested in this band, and still my favorite song after everything, it's, of course, My Name is Mud. Uh, this one just never gets old to me. It's absolutely demented and insane. The hammering bass is fantastic. The wild, fuzz-heavy electric guitar is fantastic. The breakdowns with everything turned up to 100 are fantastic. The storytelling is simple but fantastic. Uh, it's from the perspective of a guy who murders another man with a baseball bat. And just overall, it's about being just this disgusting, despicable, evil person in the middle of nowhere. It has some of my favorite instrumental parts of any song ever, specifically the part where the uh, music stops and someone says, where you going, city boy? And then the guitar just goes absolutely off the fucking chain. It just gives me chills all over my body. Um, I can't imagine what it was like to see this song live. I, I really love the Woodstock 94 performance where people were throwing mud on stage and I, I forget what he says exactly, but Les is just like, uh, I know the song is called My Name is Mud, but keep that shit to yourselves. And uh, that version of the song just kicks ass too. It, I feel like it's even better than the album version. And that's really saying something. I, I really fucking love this song and uh, it just encapsulates what Primus is to me so perfectly. I just could never get enough of it. Then there is Welcome to This World, uh, which opens with this noodling guitar, which uh, for some reason makes me picture like flies buzzing around a dumpster. Uh, but I mean that in a flattering way, of course, because it's Primus. Um, I love when the song almost loses its form like halfway through and then picks right back up where it was before it ends. Uh, so badass and so menacing. I, I absolutely love it. And uh, if you thought My Name is Mud was dark, well, here comes the track Bob, which tells the story of a friend of the narrator hanging himself. Uh, it's pretty simple, not a lot of frills or poeticism. Uh, sometimes you gotta just be straight to the point. Uh, I like how he just progressively yells the I had a friend part louder and louder each time. It just sounds really pained and uh I don't listen to that song a lot because it, it kind of gets to me a little bit, freaks me out. Um, and then we get one of the finest uh, Primus bass lines on DMV, which is an interesting contrast from the darkness of the last song because now he's literally just talking shit about how he hates the wait in line at the DMV and how he just wants to go back home and smoke some weed. And I mean, hey, sometimes it's like that. Um, you get what you get and... What you get here is a banger. Uh, the old Diamondback Sturgeon is a nice little relaxing moment, if there is anything close to that on this album. It has these odd, almost out of tune sounding noodling guitars that sort of put you in a trance. Um, and it's the third chapter of what the band calls the Fisherman's Chronicles. Uh, more on that pretty soon. Uh, Nature Boy is probably the best song you're ever going to hear about just staying inside and being antisocial and not being around anybody featuring topics like dancing around the house naked filling out your tax forms petting your cat um some awesome bass playing on this track it goes pretty hard another one of these songs that i feel like would be absolutely amazing to see live uh wounded knee is an instrumental meant to sort of play as a soundtrack to the tragedy of the 
real wounded knee event. Um, I mean, there's not much to say about it. You pretty much like, if you just think about that event while you're listening to this, that's pretty much what you're going to get out of this track. Um, I think it's pretty effective for what it is. Uh, Pork Soda, the title track, has this instrumental, which just, I don't know, sounds like a four-wheeler riding through tons of mud or something. And the, the lyrics are literally just an advertisement for what would actually be Pork Soda, done only in the way that Les Claypool could. And uh, The Pressman is also a pretty good cut that was never officially released, only featured on the live album uh, Suck On This from years before. Um, I can't not think of the creepy-ass music video for Mr. Crinkle when I hear it, featuring all of the band members and these oddly cryptic outfits, um, specifically Les as, like, in the creepiest pig costume that I've ever seen, uh, playing a stand-up bass over this ever-changing backdrop full of weird, like, disturbing images. Uh, I love how the song has this old-timey cartoon feel, but filtered through this really dark and muddy and disgusting world. Uh, the Air is Getting Slippery is a fun little banjo tune. You could probably make a little playlist of all the banjo interludes that you would find on Primus Records. And uh, I feel like that would be pretty fun to listen to. The last full-length song on here is Hamburger Train, which I do really like, but you could probably chop it down some. Regardless, it's a fun and sludgy jam, which I don't know how to explain it, but it, it really does feel like you're riding on a hamburger train. Uh, I don't know. Just, just trust me. Just... When you listen to it, imagine that you're you're riding on a train and the train is just made out of hamburger. I mean, that's what you're going to get here. And then finally, Pork Chop comes back for uh, one last time with his second little ditty. This time a minute long instead of 20 seconds. And then there's Hell Santa, uh, which is kind of cool, but also really short and just creeps me out too much to actually listen to it. I usually at this point it's the final quote-unquote track on the album and at this point i kind of just don't listen to it um but i mean it, it, it's it's whatever for what it for what it is um i'm gonna sit around a light 4.5 for this one uh it was a really awesome first album to get into for primus even though most people would say that it's not the best place to start it definitely got me interested and it's got some of the best tracks by far, and like I said with Green Naga High, this top five is just getting into the insanely good shit and highly recommended. Um, this album's definitely not perfect, but the highlights are so strong that I, I feel like they do hold it up to that 4.5, and they're well worth the admission price. So yeah, uh, number four, Pork Soda uh, from 1993, uh, giving it a 4.5 out of 5. At number three, we've got the Brown album from 1997. Les famously said something along the lines of, The Beatles have their white album, Metallica has their black album, and now Primus has their brown album. And man, is this thing a wild and phenomenal album. It's just so good. I think it's really underrated, just like Green Naga Hyde. Kind of hear Stormy walking around. <laughs> A prominent thing on this album you'll immediately notice is uh, that the album sounds thicker and beefier, not to make a pun, than any of their other albums. And a big part of this is due to the fact that they changed drummers from Tim Alexander, uh, otherwise known as Herb, uh, who had been around for a few years and then eventually came back to Brian Mantia, also known as simply Brain. And, you know, Brain sure pounds the drums on this record. They sound so loud. On top of that, they tried to make sure the uh, production sounded muffled and sort of lo-fi. I believe one of the members, I think it was Les, maybe, uh, said that they were trying to make the album sound like a turd, which, you know, is appropriate. It's called the Brown Album. Uh, probably called the Brown Album for a reason. Uh, the opening track, The Return of Savington Willoughby, or Savington, uh, is a mishmash and satire of political speeches, combining a lot of the basic elements that 
every politician or president says, but also talking about the, you know, dangers of mind-altering substances and stating that the person next to you may not be who they appear to be. So kind of establishing this sense of paranoia. Uh, and this is all done over this intensifying instrumental with kind of your expected slap bass and searing guitar that just sounds like it's about to burst at any second. Uh, Fisticuffs is the next song. Uh, it's a story about a bare-knuckle fighter or uh, boxer in the 1800s who gained a lot of notoriety and eventually ended up in jail where he died by somewhat mysterious circumstances, which I think some people believe uh, was murder, but uh, I'm not in entirely sure. Um, but, you know, the song's got a fun sort of swing to it. Um, it's got this old-timey feel, kind of. Uh, Golden Boy is a wild murder song, kind of in the same universe as uh, My Name is Mud. You almost feel like they could have happened in the same town. Um, it's about a well-respected man about town, Kink's reference, uh, who owned a liquor store and caught someone stealing and shot and killed him for it and then just got a light prison sentence. Uh, the instrumental kicks ass and has one of the best guitar riffs and one of the best bass lines in their whole catalog. And speaking of great bass lines, that just keeps going with Over the Falls, which is somewhat eerie but still upbeat. And uh, the lyrics kind of feel like someone who's about to face death one-on-one. -on -one. That's kind of what I take out of it. But, you know, with it being Primus, it could mean... A whole bunch of things um, and yeah moving on to the next track did you know that Primus has fantastic bass playing yeah shocker I haven't said that yet I, you haven't heard me say that a million times um, I'm talking about shake hands with beef which is another one of their most iconic and fantastic tracks that funky hammer-on type bass will make you move in your seat it's just too funky to resist the music video for this one is also just hilarious and so cool. It features the band members playing on top of a trash can like they're a group of flies and there's like a family having a cookout or something and there's this awkward acting that I can only think to compare to something really uncomfortable like a Tim and Eric sketch or something. I love the band's gritty and dirty aesthetics and this is one of their finest tunes. Um, Definitely one of my favorites and one that I was really excited to find uh, throughout listening to this discography. Uh, Stormy's barking at something. Um, then we have Camelback Cinema, which is simple and repetitive, but still a fun tune with thumping drums. Then we have Hats Off, which is a pretty straightforward two-minute track with this revolving thumping riff that seems to loosely go over Les's upbringing and life story, basically just saying thank you for all the people who've helped him and talking about how he's learned from his mistakes. Uh, then we get a smart-ass, I'm the shit type of song called Puddin' Tane. I really love the guitar on this one, and when Les does that howl, it makes me so happy. With different production, this one definitely sounds like it could have gone on pork soda. Uh, Bob's Party Time Lounge has this juxtaposition of sort of mellow verses and the type of insane, funky energy on the chorus that, I mean, completely different band, but I can only think to compare it to uh, Barbarism Begins at Home by the Smiths, because it's got that really long, insane bass groove that just goes on and on and on, uh, and it just sounds so intense and funky and like it could just keep going forever, basically. Um, the song itself, lyrically, seems to deal with uh, excessive partying as a way to cope and repress shit and how that can eventually lead to your demise. And uh, the breakdown and the guitar solo near the end are just straight up incredible. Uh, then we've got Duchess and the Proverbial Mind Spread, uh, quite the interesting song title. And the song itself is a catchy one with a bit of a swing. I love the melody. Uh, I don't think I'm gonna make it if I don't spread my ashes. It just keeps going on and on. Uh, then we have Rest in, Rest in My Bones, uh, which is a banger just about, you know, hanging out and smoking with this weird old guy who's seen it all and is telling you his life story, all the ups and downs. Uh, it's pretty simple, but it's uh, got one of my favorite hooks in the discography. 
uh, just rest in my bones. Uh, whenever Coddington starts, I almost have to stop and ask myself if I accidentally turned on some kind of motorhead deep cut. Um, but of course, Les's vocals make me realize, oh yeah, this is still Primus. Uh, I like how driving it is. Uh, it's a really cool track. Kalamazoo is a wacky-ass tune about a very no-name, do-nothing town where people just live uh, these very mundane and or troubled lives. The electric guitar line is just so goofy and cartoony and fun. Uh, the track Chastising of Renegade isn't quite my favorite, but it's still pretty decent. It's uh, all about the horrible and criminal things a young guy would do just for attention. Uh, Closer Arnie kind of bookends the theme from the beginning of the record with the uh, mysterious public figure speaking. It's very brief and a man gets on a stage and speaks into a microphone saying, remember this day, while he pours lighter fluid all over himself and sets himself on fire. It's pretty wild, uh, fucked up, but kind of appropriate ending to the album. And overall, I've got to give this one a 4.5 out of 5. I really love this record, and I think it deserves a little bit more love. I'll never understand why the reviews were like slightly negative to mixed. I mean... Sure, it maybe drags just a tiny bit towards the end, but even that I don't really mind. And uh, there are a lot of really solid tunes, and I, I think the storytelling from Pork Soda is turned up to 20 on here. I think this is their best, like, just straight-up storytelling album because it's just a mix of all of these different stories that seem to exist in the same little world. Um, yeah. Number three, The Brown Album from 1997. Uh, with a 4.5 out of 5. At number 2, we have Sailing the Seas of Cheese from 1991. Stormy's barking again. Uh, of course, Primus has a record called Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Uh, this is their second record. Um, and it's just a fun-ass ride of a record, plain and simple. It builds on their heavy metal roots, this time with slightly more complex song structures and more characters within the lyrics. Uh, Here Comes the Bastards isn't much to dive into lyrically, but man, does this song kick ass. The drum and bass are pounding and menacing, and somehow it's even better live. It seemed to be a live favorite of the 90s, especially. Uh, the Woodstock 94 version is pretty amazing. It gets the crowd to kind of like scream along, here they come with him. Um, and then Les takes on the role of some kind of insanely intense drill sergeant on Sergeant Baker. Think something like Full Metal Jacket. The uh, right left hook is just so fucking good. Um, and for some reason, one of my favorite Les bass lines is on American Life, which is sort of circular and wonky. It offers a side of American Life that isn't quite so glamorous, starting with immigration to Ellis Island in the early days, you know, hoping for a better life, and then telling the stories of a refugee trying to make ends meet, and a homeless veteran just trying to survive. Um, it's a pretty dark track underneath the surface. And another big one, and I mean big, uh, this song is fucking fantastic. It's probably my second favorite after My Name is Mud. It's, uh, Jerry was a race car driver. Sorry. Um, another one of those pretty simple concept songs, it's uh, simply about a man whose only a passion is uh, driving a car so goddamn fast, to quote. And of course it doesn't end well. He wraps himself around a telephone pole, apparently. Uh, and that one breakdown, you know, the one just gives me chills. It's one of the heaviest things in the history of music. There's also a killer searing guitar solo at one point. I just absolutely love this song, and it deserves to be one of their most popular. Also, shout out to uh, the beginning where someone screams, Fire it up, boys! Um, the track 11 celebrates not being able to fit into society long before it was cutesy and trendy to do that. They do it in their own kind of disgusting, disturbing way that only Primus can. Um, and it's got this insane time signature uh his vocals are also top-notch on this one. Every instrument just rips wide open. and I like when the track sort of opens up and lightens up near the end. It's kind of a nice breathing moment. 
Is It Luck? Another kind of simple concept song about luck is probably the closest Primus ever gets to a straight up roaring and fast, like classic punk rock track. Honestly, it makes me think of the Minutemen quite a bit. The bass line is so complex yet so fast. It's almost unbelievable that he's even able to play it. Um, and the drums and the guitar are fucking ripping and insane too. We get our first quote-unquote little ditty with Granddad's little ditty. It kind of just sounds like an old man singing in the shower. Pretty straightforward, a uh, little interlude. And speaking of bonkers bass lines, I don't think most people can really wrap their heads around the bass line in Tommy the Cat. It's so fast and hard to know what the hell he's even playing. Um, Tom Waits does the speaking part for the first half of the song, which is pretty appropriate because it sounds like a really creepy, raspy old man, Prastus Prime, reflecting on uh, how he used to be able to get all the girls and now he's trying to live that fantasy again, but he's old and people are scared of him. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, and then Les singing, Say Baby, Do You Want to Lay Down With Me? is so catchy and infectious. Watching like live videos of this song is so fun. Uh, you can tell the crowd just goes fucking insane and really loves it. Uh, Those Damn Blue Collar Tweakers is a heavy masterpiece about all of the instances of people in low-income areas working long, intense hours, providing things that people need, but relying on drugs to keep themselves energetic and going. For some reason at first, I didn't really like that part, but now I absolutely love it. Um, Les turns his uh, personal experience fishing with his bandmates, friends, and even his dad into the climactic track of the album Fish On, the second installment of the quote-unquote Fisherman's Chronicles. It's just about a normal day at the fishing hole, but it sounds like this epic grand event with the song clocking in at nearly eight minutes. There's not much to it, but it's one of my favorites in their entire discography, just because the lyrics are so simple. It's literally just about, you know, fishing with his guys, and uh, the instrumental just sounds so epic and fun and amazing. Uh, finally, uh, Getting to the end of the album, there's a reprieve of Here Comes the Bastards uh, called Los Bastardos, uh, which is even more unhinged than the original. This time the vocals sound looser and there are random, here they come, being shouted. Uh, also like fire truck sirens and someone screaming shut up uh, over and over, uh, sounding pretty pissed off. Uh, and yeah, that's Sailing the Seas of Cheese. I really feel like I can't give this record anything but a 5 out of 5. My first time hearing it, I enjoyed it, but didn't quite see the hype. But since then, I've slowly begun to love each song until I loved the entire album. Uh, the band has always been fantastic, but they were really on fire in these early years, which brings me to my number one, which is Frizzle Fry from 1990. I really love this record. It's the very first one with the original lineup and everything. Les, of course, on vocals and bass. Larry Lalonde, also known as uh, Lair, on electric guitar. And Tim Herb Alexander on drums. And every song on this is just so good, it's brutal. Overall, it's uh, just their funk metal sound at its rawest core. They hadn't gotten so far into the concepts or anything yet. I mean, not to say these songs are about nothing, but they were pretty simple concepts, if anything. And something about the production on here just fascinates me. Every instrument sounds so crisp and hot, almost like the record literally came out of a frying pan. Like there's a literal frying pan on the cover. Uh, first track, To Defy the Laws of Tradition, starts off kind of pretty dare I say there's not a lot of just pretty moments in Primus songs but this part is really pretty I think it kind of I don't know I think it's pretty interesting that their first song on their first album starts off super pretty and then don't really get another pretty moment in their entire discography um I think the drums or something or like a part taken and played from YYZ by Rush um so I thought that was kind of interesting. But after the intro, of course, all hell breaks loose and 
the song gets heavy and goes into this driving rhythm. There's one video from, I think, the late 80s or maybe even 1990 of them performing this track in like a radio station. And it's just magical what I would give to be in that room. And uh, after that, we go right into uh, Groundhog's Day, which I've loved for a little while now. I, I don't remember how I found it, but it was on regular rotation, even when I didn't know Primus that well. I think maybe it came up on my uh, Spotify radio at some point. Uh, it's such a classic track. Another one of those day-in-the-life kind of tunes. Less just talking about waking up in the morning and his routine before starting his day. Each breakdown is something else, but the one in the last half of the track with that insane searing guitar solo is one of the best moments in the band's entire history. It's one of those tunes that makes you want to just pick up a guitar or a bass and just start jamming for hours to it. It's a fucking amazing song, like definitely top five Primus songs. Uh, then we have Too Many Puppies, which is apparently the first Primus song ever written. It has these awesome chugging guitar chords. If you don't really pay attention to the lyrics and you know Primus's sense of humor pretty well, you may even think this song is literally a metal track about puppies. But nope, the lyrics are actually pretty fucked up and I think they're a metaphor for soldiers getting sent off into war and killed. Uh, it's a pretty dark song uh, underneath the surface once you get past just the title Too Many Puppies. Uh, then we have Mr. Know-It-All, which is one of those wacky, almost cartoon-like songs, like kind of like Tommy the Cat, but sounding even more raw and unpolished. Uh, full of insane playing from the band. It's just a kick-ass song about a guy who claims he knows literally everything to know about everything. Um, but the writing is really smart because there's a line, I am so eloquent, uh, perfection is my middle name, and whatever rhymes with eloquent, I see what you did there. Um, another one of the major highlights on an album full of highlights is the title track Frizzle Fry, which begins with Les sort of doing his like circus ringmaster role, saying, uh, hello all you boys and girls, I'd like to take you to the inside world. It's quite an irregular place to be. But never fear, you're safe with me. And then he stops, and the music stops, and he says, well, maybe. Uh, I think it could be about the dangers of an acid trip, how things could either be great or horrible at any minute, but it could also just be about the uncertainty of life itself, and knowing that it's interesting how uh, the song shares the title with the album. Uh, John the Fisherman, of course, is an all-time Primus classic, no doubt about it. The first entry of the Fisherman's Chronicles, Les has always loved fishing. His dad took him fishing as a kid, and he's still gone many times over the years. And sometimes you just have to write songs about really simple things like that. If I had to choose one from this record, this track is probably the easiest to get into for a new fan. You really can't beat the doubled guitar and bass on these killer riffs. Um, I really love the intro, especially um, just how it builds up and just kicks into the song. Uh, then we have The Toys Go Winding Down, which is sort of their first foray into uh, trying different instruments outside of their usual places. Uh, something we would see a lot of later on. There's this almost early 1900s cartoon style acoustic intro, and then of course the song explodes into something else. There's this weird bassy sound throughout that I can't really place. It Almost sounds like it's underwater or something. Uh, Pudding Time might be my least favorite track outside of the tiny little interludes, which I won't mention really. But it's still a monster of a track. You don't need me to tell you how good their playing is, but they are tight as hell on this track. And if that's what I have to say about my least favorite track, it must be a great fucking album. Uh, one of the interludes that I will mention is the introduction of Savington Willoughby, which I thought uh, was interesting since it features the quote-unquote Savington Willoughby Orchestra, which includes banjo and toy piano, uh, kind of showing off their sense of humor a little bit. And uh, you've really got to give love to uh, Les's funny personality. There's literally a song on here, Spaghetti Western, which... I think it's misspelled on purpose. Spaghetti is spelled horribly. 
and uh, it's just a short ramble about how he likes to watch Western movies while stoned, and then there's an insane psychedelic jam with amazing guitar soloing and fantastic slap bass. I mean, it's Primus. Of course, the bass is amazing. Then we have Herald of the Rocks, which is, I think, an appropriate final full song uh, with some of the best playing from the band on an album full of incredible playing. There's one moment in particular that I really love when the track sort of cools off and there's this like Jimi Hendrix type acid rock solo just ripping over top of the bass and then everything just comes right back in. Uh, as far as the lyrics on this one go, they seem to be about someone who got addicted to crack and then drugged two other people along with him and got them also addicted to crack, which I think that's referenced in the final part. Uh, so in the end, Swapper and Greeny finally succumbed to the ways of Harold, and in doing so, each gave just a little bit of his soul away, and then the music stops and he says, what a couple of dumb shits. I, I love how the track just kind of ends on that line. Uh, Finally, there's To Defy, which is only about 40 seconds long, kind of like Here Comes the Bastards from Seas of Cheese. This is just a looser jam version of the opening track to defy the laws of tradition. And that's it. If you want an album full of solid funk metal playing with not a lot of frills or fancy production, this album is the one for you. Uh, the whole thing is just hot fire shit and... I'm honestly so impressed that this is their very first album. I've really enjoyed this journey going from the beginning to the end and then the end to the beginning, studying each album as best as I can. But you really can't beat this one. It's their first one right out of the gate. Uh, even Les himself has said that this is his favorite Primus record. So I feel like I'm valid in sharing the opinion of that with the man himself. Uh, and of course, I would have to go with a 5 out of 5 for this record. I think it is some of the heaviest and hard hitting, most hard-hitting music I've ever heard. And just, I, I feel like you can't have a bad time listening to it. You can listen to it while you're driving around. You can listen to it while you're working out, doing anything around the house. And it's just so upbeat and fun. I feel like you can't really be in a bad mood listening to it. And... That's going to wrap up Primus. Thank you for listening, and I, if you don't already know Primus, I hope you check them out because they've become one of my favorite bands doing this. So, yeah, peace, and thanks for listening. <laughs>